All right, good morning. So if I went out to eat with my wife, it'd be kind of hard right now because she's still recovering from her accident, but if I, if I went out with KK to breakfast, let's say she stepped away from the table and uh, waitstaff came and said, can I go ahead and get you something to drink? I would say, sure, she wants hot tea. I know that. And by the way, if you bring it in one of those little little things, you know, it's got too much water in it, she's going to need two bags. And she wants black tea. I mean, she don't want any of that, you know, fancy tea. For breakfast, she wants straight up black tea with nothing else in it. And she'd like some cream, but technically she'd like milk and, and not cream. Because I know that's what she would take to drink for breakfast. Now, if... In a few minutes, she still hadn't arrived at the table, and I was asked, so what will she have to eat? I'd say, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, I know exactly what she wants to drink, but it could be French toast. It could be eggs benedict. If she gets eggs, she could want them over light or even soft scrambled. You know, I, I really don't know. I don't think she'll be having any potatoes or grits to go with it, but I, I think I know what it might be, but I can't tell you for sure what it would be. Now, why is that? Because certain things about her are pretty predictable. And other things about her are very unpredictable. Candidly, I think that's why I love her so much. Because she's so unpredictable in some ways and so constantly predictable in others. Now, what I've just told you was a story about KK and her ways at breakfast. What do we know about the ways of God? Is he predictable? Well, in some ways, constantly predictable. Is he unpredictable? In some ways, unpredictable. So, what's the difference? In the Old Testament, we read this phrase on the ways of God. Isaiah 55 is a, is a great place to find one of the verses. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. When Moses was giving the law the second time, listen to what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He says, the rock, that's what he calls him, the rock, his work is perfect and his ways are entirely just. The ways of God. Now, I started reading Acts chapter 12 and I thought, okay, so it's, it's supposed to be one story put together in here by Luke to be a transition. We've met Peter, we've met Saul, and that's kind of how the story's gone. And so now we're wrapping up this chapters 1 through 12 before we start into the missionary journeys in chapter 13. And we'll do that probably next year. But what is this chapter 12 all about? It's about James in jail. It's about Peter in jail. It's about James being killed. It's about Peter being released. 
It's about the church praying, technically not even sure that they expect God to answer their prayers, or so it seemed. And then it's about Peter running and hiding rather than staying and calling down fire on the street. And then it's back to Herod and the one who earlier had made sure that James died now is dying himself. What does all of that have to do with each other? How does that all fit together? Basically, as I kept thinking about looking at it this way and looking at it that way, I thought, you know, it's, it's the ways of God. For some of his ways are very predictable, and some of his ways seem totally unpredictable. So let's list a few things we can say about the ways of God. And trust me, this is not intended to be for publication as a book on the ways of God. Okay, there's a lot I'm not saying. I'm trying to track this right here in Acts chapter 12. What can we say? His character is always the same. He's predictable. But we can't put him in a box. We can't make him do what we want to make him do. Uh, this ought to be a pretty good example for those of you who are parents to realize you can't make your children. I mean, there's so many things. You, I mean, do you think you can't make them do it when they're young? Wait till they get older, okay? I mean, what can you make them do and what can you not make them do? What, what can we make God do? Well, nothing. What can we mathematically delineate he's going to do? <laughs> Almost nothing. Because we can't control the outcome and we can't put him in a box. Now, why is that from Acts chapter 12? I've already alluded to it. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, I, I want to say to you that I stopped for a minute when I was reading about Herod, and I thought, I think I'm confused. Anybody confused about Herod? Have you ever heard? Like, there's lots of Herods, okay? So, so I, there used to be a lot of Caesars, and then they became Herods, okay? So who are these guys, and what did they do? So let me see if I can just... For the sake of you who are confused to know that misery is okay because there's a lot of other Herods. And let me just kind of tell you who this guy is. First of all, Herod Antipas, he's the one that beheaded John the Baptist, if you remember that. And you can, I hate to say you can picture it, but let's just go ahead and picture it. It's like some of those ISIS beheadings that you've seen in the last decade or so. It was violent and brutal. Herod Antipas was the younger son of Herod the Great and the uncle of Herod Agrippa, so it's, it's clear already, right? I mean, do you see how the, so many different ones have the name? In Acts chapter 12, we're reading about Herod Agrippa. Later in Acts, we're going to read about Agrippa II when he appears in chapters 25 and 26. What we can say about this Herod is that he bears many characteristics of his evil family. He was a political chameleon. This guy changed colors as often as depending on who he was with. 
with the Romans, he lived in Romans fashion. When he was around Jews, he lived to seek their favor. He was a people pleaser, a glory seeker, and a Christ hater. That's Herod. He's the guy here in Acts chapter 12 that lays his hand on James and he kills him. Doesn't say he beheaded him, but it specifically points out the sword. And he saw that it pleased the Jews and he thought, okay then, why don't I just get the one that they are calling their leader right now? Let's get Peter. So he grabs Peter and he throws him in jail and because of the timing, this wasn't exactly the next year after Jesus' Passover, but you remember kind of how that story went. There are some similarities almost when he, there was something to be done about the unleavened bread and the Passover. So is he going to kill Peter now? And he decides to wait. And while he's waiting is when we read this miracle. But keep in mind, what are, what are we looking at? God's character is the same, but we can't put him in a box. James died. Peter was released. Humanly speaking, we go, hmm, wonder what James did wrong, right? No indication he did anything wrong. Wonder what Peter did right. No indication that God did it because Peter was better. And if you have any struggles with things that seem like, I don't know why God did that, I think you probably can empathize a little bit with James's family. They might have been glad Peter was let out, but they were still mourning the loss of their loved one. The ways of God. His character is always the same. But we can't put him in a box. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about his character, about the ways of God. Earth life matters, and eternal things can surely be mysterious. What we do on earth matters. I would never want you to think in God's sovereignty, he set it up so that our choices don't matter. They do matter. He has set up a system of cause and effect. You go out here today and jump off this roof, depending on your age, it'll matter more than others, okay? There are cause and effect, earth life, predictable things, and the way we live matters. But there are eternal things that we really can't figure out. In the ministry that I was in in North Carolina, I often heard our associate pastor, Gary Chapman, quote Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. This morning, some of you have encountered problems that can only be explained in the realm of the secret things that belong to God. Why has your loved one suffered? Why has your loved one died? Why does a guilty person continue 
to live and the innocent person dies. Why do people that seem to be living a good life have problems and people that seem to be living a bad life don't? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed are clear to us and they're there for us and our children. Can I just stop here and make sure you understand we're talking about believers, followers of Christ. We're talking about those who've been born from above. We're talking about the things revealed that we know we're sinners and we need a Savior. We're talking about trusting in Christ to forgive us our sin because he died for us and not for his own sin. It's like Johnny said earlier, God initiated that love toward us when we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's revealed. We can respond to that by the work of God's Spirit and be born from above and live forever with God in heaven when this life is over. But God's ways, certain things are mysterious. We don't know how to add it up. I just couldn't get away from that when I thought about James dying, Peter living. But not only does Peter live, but Peter is released. And as I look at that in the ways of God, I see that God moves in sovereign ways, but he still moves his people to pray. Look at it. It's right there in verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church of God. So the church moved to pray. You know, I've, I've seen some really great things when individuals have prayed. I've seen some really incredible things when the church prayed. I've watched the people of God come together and ask God to do something and watch as he answered that prayer and watch as the people of God celebrated. God was sovereignly allowing Peter to live and taking James on to heaven and he moved on the church to pray for Peter. Now, I've heard people say, you know, because God's sovereign, our prayer doesn't matter. Well, you want to back up to the one we just looked at. Earthly things do matter, even though eternal things can be mysterious. I've heard people say that when I pray, it doesn't really change anything. It just changes me. And I categorically disagree with that. When we pray, it does change us. But listen, God, in the way he has established things, has, at least from earth's perspective, seemed to accommodate himself to wait on and move on us to pray. And so sometimes I've asked, why does God want us to pray when he's going to do it anyway? Uh, anybody? Why does God ask us to pray when he's going to do it anyway? And this is the only thing I can come up with. God moves on us to pray so that when he does it, we know he did it. I, I can't explain any other way. But God moves on his people. He puts it in our heart. And while he's moving on us, he's changing us because he's changing what we pray for. Aren't you glad that God changes what you pray for? Think about who you could have been married to if he'd answered that prayer when you were a teenager, right? Aren't you glad he answered it a different way and didn't do what you wanted? And 
Think about the times you've said, God, I don't mean to tell you what to do, but if I were you, I'd kill that guy. I mean, God doesn't, you know, how does God work in our lives when we pray? He changes us, but he moves on us to ask him to do what he already wants to do so that when he does it, we'll know he did it. I can't explain why God moved on the church and moved them to prayer, but I know that he did. And in his sovereignty, he still moves us to pray today. Did you catch the story? I, I love this story because, you know, it, it, it shows the struggle with reality and humanity and deity. Peter's asleep. First of all, that, he was either really tired and finally passed out or he had a whole lot of peace that God was going to do something because he slept. He was asleep. The angel came and woke him up. There, it kind of looks like he said, come on, guy, wake up, you know. And he wakes him up and he says, get dressed, let's go. Well, I mean, put your robe on, put it where you can walk, you know. Uh, grab the sash, make this thing work. And he starts out and the guards don't stop him. And then he gets to the gate of the city and it opens like a door at a grocery store. You know, you walk up to it and boom, it opened. And he walked through and the Bible says that Peter was thinking, I must be dreaming if all this is going on. But then he realized that he wasn't dreaming and the angel was gone and he said, Huh, where should I go? I guess I'll go over to John Mark's mother's house because she's pretty accommodating, and I bet there's some other people hanging out there. And when he got there, they were praying because God had moved on his people to pray, to ask him to do what he wanted to do so that they'd know he did it. And they were praying, and as they were praying, Peter came to the gate, and the girl Rhoda comes, and she recognizes Peter's voice, and she runs back in. And the scripture says, she got so excited, she left him at the gate. I mean, that's just funny, all right? But what's even funnier to me is when she said, Peter's at the gate. They said, no, he's not. We're praying for him to be released. Peter's at the gate. No, we're still praying for him. I mean, how did she interrupt their praying? I mean, there's lots of comedy here in my mind. I could see it acted out. And they finally heard that there was so much noise at the gate, they went back and let him in. And Peter said, now be quiet a second, let me tell you. Here's how it went down, and here's what's happening. And make sure you go tell James, not to be confused with the James that had died. James, the brother of Jesus, who would later be seen with Peter in leadership there in the church. And so we see the ways of God. He moves sovereignly on details of life and he moves in the hearts of his people to pray now after Peter had explained to them what was going on he said he realized that he was in danger and all it says is go tell James and the brothers and he departed to another place Peter left I've read a lot of speculation in my study and I'm not going to join the speculators. He left, all right? Herod couldn't find him. The scripture does say, though, that when the day came and there was no little disturbance, <laughs> you like that? In other words, it was a big disturbance. There was a lot going on, and, and Herod couldn't find him. He searched everywhere, and then after he had the soldiers killed because they didn't do their job guarding Peter, which they couldn't have done because, well, you get it. He went from Judea to Caesarea. 
God moves sovereign and he moves his people to prayer. Here's the fourth thing I notice about the ways of God. God executes judgment in his own time, in his own way. If God had judged Herod sooner, James wouldn't have died. Peter might not have been arrested. What about in your life? God, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it now. I don't know why you're letting an evil king rule in this country. I don't understand why you don't just take him out. God executes his own judgment in his own time, in his own way. Now, I just want to throw that in for all of you listening because you're believers in Christ, most of you. And if you're not, then this verse ought to sit on you even heavier. The scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. What does that mean? We all will stand before God. And we'll already know that he's holy and we're not. So that will not be the debate. The only thing asked will be, what did you do with Jesus? That's why the judgment will be in the Lamb's book of life. Those names who are written there will live forever. And those names who are not written there will live forever in the lake of fire. They will live the eternal death. God's judgment is clear. That's, that's his ways. But why does he let life go on now? And is he in fact judging you or your loved one when things don't work the way you want them to work? I want you to be careful there. I want you to look at all these ways of God listed here. But I want you to notice that when Herod finally had filled up his cup before God, he started bragging that he was God, which, by the way, is basically the source of all sin, right? Pride, I'm God, he's not God. Try that for a while and see how it works, all right? When Herod put on his robe and he let them call out that he was a God and not a man, the scripture says God smote him. Twice we see some smiting here. We see the angel kind of poking at Peter to wake him up, and now we see the angel sm smoting, smiting. That's good King James words. We don't use it, you know. God struck him, and we don't know exactly when he died, but he died from the inside out. Worms ate him up. Not just after he died, but that seems to be the source of his death. God was executing judgment. For James's family, it seems late. But he does it his own way in his own time. Then the scripture summarizing what all has been going on just kind of throws this in here. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. In case you've forgotten, we're talking about the ways of God. 
We've said that God's way is his character is always the same. We can't put him in a box. Earth life matters and eternal things can be mysterious. He moves sovereignly and he still moves us to pray. He executes judgment in his own time and in his own way. Here's the last one I want you to notice. The ways of God, his word will always do its work. His word works. Some of you know that that I've been given a special privilege to walk alongside some missionaries around the world. As they tell me their problems and we walk through prioritizing what they can do and what they can't do, I'm always begging God during the conversation, God, just give me a Bible verse that I I can give back to them. Because when we click off the Zoom call or turn off FaceTime or hang up the phone, I'm going to be gone, but the Word of God can continue to work. Now, I know God's Word is given in context. That's how we understand what it means. But I'm telling you, the Word of God is so powerful. It's quick and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And the word of God can cut deeply into our hearts and the word of God can comfort us like nothing else can. Here it says that the word of God continued to increase and multiply. And as I was thinking about how the word works, I was reminded of that scripture I opened up with a moment ago in Isaiah 55. You remember? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Then he goes on to say, and just like the rain and the snow comes down from the earth and provides moisture for the seed and bread for the one who's sown the seed, so it is with the word of God. When it comes forth, This is in Isaiah 55, if you want to go read it. When it comes forth, it accomplishes the purpose that it's been sent to do. Now, let me tell you why I love that verse so much. Because in about five or six minutes, we're getting really close here. I'm going to stop talking. And when I stop talking, the service is going to be over. And I'm going to go home, and my wife's laying there in the bed right now praying for me, I'm sure. She's going to say, so, honey, how'd it go? And I'll either say, well, their faces made me think they were listening, or I, I don't know. There were a few slow points as I was unfolding what I was talking about. And as I start trying to describe whether the message that I delivered was effective, I may give myself a, you know, a B plus, or I may give myself a D minus. But you know what? I can take a nap this afternoon because I know I've tried to show you the word of God. And when my words are gone, his word will continue to work. What do we know about the ways of God? His word is going to do what it's sent to do. And it's only his word that can convict you that you need a savior. And it's only his word that can invite you to trust him when you don't feel like trusting him and when life doesn't make sense. So how should we respond to the ways of God? I'm going to give you a couple ways. You could pray it if you want to jot this down or 
Maybe if you're not taking notes, I've seen people grab their camera and take a picture of the screen. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever works for you. But listen, here's, here's what I want to list for you. Here's a prayerful response. For those of you who might say, there's something going on in my life that I don't understand. And by the way, if you're not there, good news is you'll get there, all right? There'll be something in life that you'll face and you'll say, I just don't understand it. What can you do? Here's a prayerful response to the ways of God. God, your ways are right. Your judgment is sure. And your word really does work. So, I know that's true. I know that your ways are right. Your character is always right. Your promises are always sure, even when I can't add them up and get it right. And if something seems to not work right, one day it will be right. So I know that your word works. So if that's a prayerful response to the ways of God, let me give you another way to say it. God, by your grace, I will humble myself before you. That's where it all starts. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God, I humble myself before you, and I will trust and obey you in what I know I ought to trust and what I know I ought to obey. And all I can do is leave the results to you, God. That's all I can do. That's not a bad place to be. I'm going to trust and obey in what I know, and I'm going to humble myself before you in what I don't know. And I'm going to rest in the fact that you're God and I'm not and you can handle it and I can't. And I know that you'll do what's right in your time. So I'm just going to leave the results to you. A few decades ago, a couple of musicians here in Atlanta I didn't really look up to see if Eddie Carswell wrote it and Babby Mason recorded it. I know she, she was the recorder for those of you that might have ever heard Babby sing. Somewhere along the way, they heard these words from uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This is what Spurgeon said. Some people have tried to quote it and they've usually got it wrong, so I want to read it so I'll get it right, okay? Spurgeon said, the people of this world bless God when he gives them plenty. The Christian blesses God even when he smites them. There's that word again. Did you get it? People of this world say when God blesses them, they'll bless him, but Christians can bless God even when he smites them. The Christian believes this. He is too wise to err. And he's too good to be unkind. So the Christian trusts him even when he cannot trace him. Hearing that 
whether it was quoted right or not that day. I don't know if it was Eddie or if it was Babby, but they wrote this song, and this is what the chorus goes like. I thought about singing it, but I'm going to spare you, all right? God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. When you don't see his plan and you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Some of you today may be at that very point. You're not happy like Peter's family that he got released. You're grieving like John's family because something's been seemingly taken away. And in your struggle, you know that God's going to do what's right, but he seems to be doing it at the wrong time. So I invite you this morning, even in the deep, dark hour of the soul, to find Even in the bottom, it's solid. You can trust him because he meant it when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and you can't see his plan and you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we know that your ways are good and right. And we confess to you that we struggle because of our earthly perspective, especially in those eternal things that are mysterious. We know that you're sovereign. We know that you move us to pray. So today I pray for everyone hearing this word from your word. If they're at a tough place, a confusing place, a seemingly unjust place, I pray that they will trust your heart. We understand your love because when we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. Forgive us for those confusing earthly measurements and give us eternal values and eternal perspective to trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you look this way? Before you stand, you've been given that response card. And it may be this morning that it would just help you to write something down. I'm praying for. I'm struggling with. You can use categories. You can use names. You cannot put your name. But it's kind of like confessing your fault to one another that you may be healed. There's something therapeutic about saying it and trying to express it. And I want to give you a chance to do that. 
So I'm going to ask you to take that response card and just in an attitude of prayer, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and just kind of look down at the card. Would you do that? And you may not be one that's going to write, but I pray that most of you or some of you certainly will and put something that helps you express that you're obeying and trusting with what you know and you're entrusting to God what you cannot figure out.